Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 27, Lay Aside the Things of the World. So I wanted to first thank everybody who has been interacting with me on Instagram. If you're on Instagram and you listen, I would love it if you would. I just, I don't have like a ton of followers or anything, but it's so nice to actually hear from people who are listening. And also I feel like as I get on here every week, I um, am talking a lot about church and not a lot about my life personally. And I feel like my goal on Instagram isn't necessarily, at least at the moment, just because I don't feel like I have the bandwidth to create a bunch of um, content. But my goal on Instagram is just to let you feel like you're getting to know me personally, so that as you listen to me talk, I'm not just this talking voice um, talking at you. You actually know who's talking to you. So that's kind of my goal on Instagram. If you uh, want to follow me and get to know me better and so I can get to know you, I would just love it. My Instagram handle is me underscore with Brie. And I hope I see you there. Um, secondly, I kind of wanted to, before I start, talk about how this podcast over the last 27 episodes has kind of evolved. Um, I didn't really know exactly what it was going to look like when I started it. And now that I've done it for a little while, I've kind of got kind of a better idea of what it has turned into and what my goal is in each episode. Um, I don't know that I have a super defined pattern for each podcast. I've listened to other Come Follow Me podcasts and a lot of them uh, follow kind of a a specific pattern where they're either trying to cover all the content or give you all the history or, or whatever. Um, I think mine is more that I like to focus in on one particular thing that really stands out to me and just hopefully give you some inspiration and motivation to keep on going. So my goal is not to cover every single little topic in each come follow me week. Um, and there's plenty of awesome, amazing podcasts that do that for you. So I just wanted to kind of give you some clarity of what my goal is and what I hope you get out of it. All right. This week contains an exciting revelation that is perfect for this week because we know that Monday was International Women's Day. So it's a revelation to Emma Smith. Emma Smith was an amazing woman. And I know growing up, I had kind of a um, a misconstrued or, or misunderstanding idea of who she was. And, you know, we all know that she didn't continue West with the saints and continue um, being united with the church. And so I think I don't remember being taught specific things negative about her, but I, di I do remember kind of having somewhat of a, a negative outlook um, about her just because of what we know about the end of her relationship with the church. Um, I loved reading at the end of the Come Follow Me chapter this week some of the things said about her by those closest to her. So this was written by Joseph Smith. Um, he was, I'm actually not totally sure, but he was in some sort of trouble at some point and Emma came to visit him. And this is what he says. With what unspeakable delight and what transports of joy swelled my bosom when I took the hand on that night, my beloved Emma, she that was my wife, even the wife of my youth and the choice of my heart. 
Many were the revibrations of my mind when I comp- contemplated for a moment the many scenes we had been called to pass through, the fatigues, the toils, the sorrows and sufferings, and the joys and the consolations from time to time had strewed our path and crowned our board. Oh, what a commingling of thought filled my mind for the moment. Again, she is here, even in the seventh trouble, undaunted, firm, and unwavering, unchangeable, affectionate Emma. And then Lucy Maxsmith, Joseph's mother, said, She was then young, and being naturally ambitious, her whole heart was in the work of the Lord. She felt no interest except for the church and the cause of truth. Whatever her hands found to do, she did with her might, and did not ask the selfish selfish question, Shall I be benefited any more than anyone else? I have never seen a woman in my life who would endure every species of fatigue and hardship from month to month, from year to year, with unflinching courage, zeal, and patience as she has always done. Emma's life and her witness has left us with an amazing legacy and an amazing testimony. And even after her estrangement from the church, she says, My belief is that the Book of Mormon is of divine authenticity. I have not the slightest doubt of it. We know that Emma was one of the scribes for the Book of Mormon, and in this section, she was called to continue to do that so that the Lord could send Oliver Cowdery, and then they would have he would have Emma as a backup. And we also learn in this section that she was called to assemble the first collection of hymns. So she eventually published our first hymn book in 1835 in Kirkland under her name. Now, I read from the great-great-granddaughter who wrote a, um, an article that's on the church website. Um, she said it was actually published in 1836, even though it says 1835. So that's what she says. I'm not really sure, but probably doesn't really matter too much. And we learn a lot about Emma through her actions. On LDS.org, we read this. Emma served the needy. In Kirkland, she and Elizabeth Ann Whitney coordinated feasts for the poor. And in Nauvoo, she opened her home to the sick, orphaned, and homeless. As the, quote, elect lady, she presided over the Female Relief Society of Nauvoo from its founding in 1842 until 1844, providing relief to new immigrants and destitute families. Her service in the Relief Society, however, achieved much more than benevolent work. As president, Emma taught the women doctrine, managed membership, and publicly defended principles of moral purity. Emma was the first woman to receive temple ordinances. She then initiated other women in these sacred rituals. As the First Lady of Nauvoo, she hosted diplomats in her home, made public appearances with Joseph at civic and community events, and presented political petitions in support of the church and her husband. Emma, as we all know, endured many trials throughout her life. She bore nine children, four of whom died at birth and two who died as toddlers. She adopted two others, and one of those that she adopted died from exposure during an attack on Joseph, and their, I believe their front door was left open, and it got too cold, and that, that baby died. So think of that. Six of your nine children that you gave birth to died, and then one of the two that you adopted also died. You give that challenge to someone alone, that, that's a rough life. But she also endured many years of merciless persecution and many years of not having family support for what she was doing and then ultimately the martyrdom of her husband and then the separation from the church. So she she had a rough life. 
I read a beautiful article on LDS.org by Gracia. Actually, I'm not totally sure how to say her name. Gracia N. Jones called my great-great-grandmother Emma Hell Smith. I very much recommend going and reading it. It is an awesome, great perspective and article. And also it tells us some things that I hadn't ever heard of before. Uh, maybe some of you have, but I thought it was a great addition to my perspective on Emma Smith. And she says, speaking about the end of Emma's life um, and about a vision Emma had a few days previous to her death, I found it so beautiful. And as this author says, such a testimony of the love that the Savior has for each of us. She says, Emma lived almost 35 years after the martyrdom of her prophet husband. She died April 30th, 1879, in her 75th year. In her last year, she was greatly loved, and in the last hours of her life, she was attended by her family, Louis Bittemann, Julia, Joseph III, and Alexander. According to Alexander, Emma seemed to sink away, but then she raised up and stretched out her hand, calling Joseph, Joseph. Falling back on Alexander's arm, she clasped her hands on her bosom, and her spirit was gone. Both Alexander and Joseph thought she, that she was calling for her son, Joseph, but later, Alexander learned more about the incident. Sister Elizabeth Revel, Emma's nurse, explained that a few days earlier, Emma had told her that Joseph came to her in a, in a vision and said, Emma, come with me. It's time for you to come with me. As Emma related it, she said, I put on my bonnet and my shawl and went with him. I did not think that it was anything unusual. I went with him into a mansion and he showed me through different apartments of that beautiful mansion. And one room was the nursery. In that nursery was a babe in the cradle. She said, I knew my babe, my Don Carlos that was taken from me. She sprang forward, caught the child up in her arms and wept with joy over the child. When Emma recovered herself sufficient, she turned to Joseph and said, Joseph, where are the rest of my children? He said to her, Emma, be patient and you shall have all of your children. Then she saw standing by his side, a personage of light, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Gracia continues, finding this testimony reminded me how precious each soul is in the sight of our Savior, whose compassion and power to save is beyond all comprehension. All of us make mistakes and are in need of repentance. Whenever we withdraw from the fellowships of the saints and cease to partake of the sacrament on a regular basis, we tend to lose our way and become subject to misunderstanding, especially if our course has been set by real or imagined injury to our feelings or pride. This could happen to any of us, including my dear great-great-grandmother. As I reflect upon all I have learned from Emma's life, I feel great reverence for the testimony she has borne about the divine authenticity of the Book of Mormon and for her precious vision of Joseph and her baby. Her legacy to us in her final witness is that she and all of us, through the ordinances restored by the Prophet Joseph Smith, have the opportunity to be with our families in eternity. Now, I've done maybe a couple of hours of research on Emma, and I've barely scratched the surface of even what I've read here. And there's so much more that I can learn from Emma's life and her incredible example. Even though she died estranged from the church, she left us with an undenied testimony that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God and that her efforts and sacrifice did not go unnoticed or unrewarded by the Lord. So section 25 is not one to pass through quickly. President Nelson told us in reference to section 25, 
What I can tell you is that accessing the power of God in your life requires the same things that the Lord instructed Emma and each of you to do. Don't we all want to access the power of God in our lives? And isn't it such an amazing testament of his love for us that that is even something we have access to? Emma is given such beautiful direction from the Lord in section 25, and we, in turn, are given the same direction. The Lord ends the section saying, this is my voice unto all. Now, in here, obviously, there are some very specific callings in this section that are just for Emma, but there is a lot in here that it can apply to all of us. And I love the pattern that we see in this section. The Lord starts out before saying anything else by reminding Emma of her worth. He calls her my daughter. And in that, we are all reminded that we are all sons and daughters of God. But imagine being called individually by the Savior, my daughter. How personal, how intimate, and how loving. She is told that her sins are forgiven. She is called an elect lady. And what is an elect lady? When used as an adjective, elect means to be chosen or singled out. He reminds her that if she is faithful, that he has great plans for her in this life and in the life to come. And just like it's not our job to judge anyone else around us, it's not our job to judge whether or not Emma is considered to have remained faithful. That is the Lord's job. And what we do know is that she is an elect lady and that she did incredible things for the restoration and for the people around her as she lived. So in those first three verses, before he does anything else, he reminds her of her place in his heart. She is his daughter, chosen and singled out to do a specific mission, and he has eternal plans for her. What have you been chosen to do? I know I've asked you this lots of times. What have you been chosen to do? And if you're thinking anything related, to nothing or not much, I promise that you are wrong. That is one of the most beautiful illustrations that we can see from reading all of the if-then promises given in the scriptures. You know, the promises that are follow the structure of, if you are faithful, then you shall have eternal life. Statements like that, that are peppered throughout the scriptures. If you do your part, you are promised so much. If we are doing our part, our contribution will not be small as defined by the Lord. That is a gospel fact. In Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 64, verse 33, it reads, Wherefore be not weary in well-doing, for ye are laying up the foundation of a great work, and out of small things proceedeth that which is great. You may feel small at times, or that your work is not important, but that is how the Lord works. Out of small things proceedeth that which is great. President Nelson said, Now a little word of warning. There are those who would undermine your ability to call upon the power of God. There are some who would have you doubt yourself and minimize your stellar spiritual capacity as a righteous woman. Most certainly the adversary does not want you to understand the covenant you made at baptism or the profound endowment of knowledge and power you have received or will receive at the temple, the house of the Lord. And Satan clearly does not want you to understand that every time you worthily serve and worship in the temple, you leave armed with God's power and with his angels having charge over you. 
Satan and his minions will constantly contrive roadblocks to prevent you from understanding the spiritual gifts with which you have been and can be blessed. Think of what he's saying there. Satan does not want you to understand your worth and your spiritual capacity. He wants you to minimize yourself. He wants you to doubt yourself and do not let him win. Now I want to zone in on one verse in particular in section 25, and that's verse 10. And verily I say unto thee that thou shalt lay aside the things of this world and seek for the things of a better. President Nelson said in his talk called Spiritual Treasures, Part of this endeavor will require you to put aside many things of this world. Sometimes we speak almost casually about walking away from the world with its contention, pervasive temptations, and false philosophies. But truly doing so requires you to examine your life meticulously and regularly. As you do so, the Holy Ghost will prompt you about what is no longer needful and what is no longer worthy of your time and energy. As you shift your focus away from worldly distractions, some things that seem important to you now will recede in priority. You will need to say no to some things, even though they may seem harmless. As you embark upon and continue this lifelong process of consecrating your life to the Lord, the changes in your perspective, feelings, and spiritual strength will amaze you. Now, I know that some of you are men that are listening, but right now I'm going to talk to the woman, but that does not mean that it doesn't apply to you. We are women of God. We are called of God to do great things through him. President Spencer W. Kimball explained, To be a righteous woman during the winding up scenes on this earth before the second coming of our Savior is an especially noble calling. The righteous women's strength and influence today can be tenfold what it might be in more tranquil times. What a privilege, what an honor, what a spiritual blessing. I've been thinking lately about how how did I get so lucky to be born at this time where my influence can be so incredible and my potential ability and reach to praise and glorify and teach of the Savior is so magnificent. Ask yourself, why were you born at this time and what is your mission? What things do you need to lay aside so you can be more anxiously engaged? Even think of the things that are not bad but are distracting you from your true purpose, your divine role. Get rid of it. It is nothing and it is not worth your time. Elder Oak said in his talk called Good, Better, Best, We should begin by recognizing the reality that just because something is good is not sufficient reason for doing it. The number of good things we can do far exceeds the time available to accomplish them. Some things are better than good, and these are the things that should command priority attention in our lives. Your time here on earth has great potential and great value, but it is also finite. So we need to use that time so wisely I have a favorite YouTube video. I've watched it probably, I feel like, more than 10 years. I'll go back to it every once in a while. It's from a pastor named John Jorgensen, and it is called You Are Awesome. And I'm going to take a tiny bit of liberty and adjust it slightly so that it applies a little bit more to adults. But go watch the video on YouTube. He says, You are beautiful. You are smart. You are funny. You are kind. You are unique. You are worthy of love and affection. You are never too much, and you are always enough. You are precious. You are a diamond, a rose, a pearl, the most stunning of all God's creations. You are worth more than you could ever imagine. 
You are worth more than the numbers on a scale or the hair products you use or the shoes you wear. More than how many girls wish they were you or how many guys wish they had you. More than the price tags on your clothes or the number on your paycheck or even the number of followers you have on Instagram. Your worth surpasses all earthly things because in the eyes of the Lord God, you are loved. You are worth dying for, regardless of who you think you are, whether you model in a magazine or you model pottery with grandma, whether you're on the hot list or the not list, whether you're a PhD or a high school dropout, whether you're Miss Popular or you never had anyone you could call a friend, whether you love yourself or your life or you can't stand to look in the mirror and you feel as though everything in your life is falling apart, whether you're such a winner or you feel like the world's biggest failure. Regardless of who you think you are, the reality is that you deserve someone who would give up their life for you because you are powerful, strong, and capable. Read about the women in the Bible, Esther, Ruth, Martha, Mary. These women changed the world forever. And inside of you, each and every one of you is a woman with that same power and that same strength and that same world-changing capability and your responsibility is to find that woman and set that woman free. This is who you are. And any voices in your mind that try to tell you differently are from the enemy. And the next time you hear that voice, you say, Nuh-uh, not me, Satan. I am the daughter of a living God, cherished, loved, and adored, above all things, by the creator of all things, for the glory of all things. I am awesome. I testify that that is true. You are amazing. You are loved. You are of great worth, regardless of your choices. Even if you feel like a failure, it does not change. You are loved. Even if you feel far from the Savior, your value is inherent and nothing you could ever do will change that. I watched a video recently of Demi Lee Tebow. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, but she was Miss Universe, I believe, in 2018, and she's from South Africa, and she had such beautiful insight, and I want to read it to you. She says, when I was set to go and compete at Miss Universe, being the reigning Miss South Africa, it's a whole buildup, right? At the time, there was 95 countries competing that year, and probably in the history of Miss Universe, I was one of the shortest girls to compete for this title. And now if you think of models and beauty queens, they're usually tall and people started placing me in this box saying, oh, she won't win because she's too short and started defining me in certain ways. And it's hard for that not to get to you, right? In the same way, I know so many young girls watch Instagram or social media and put themselves in boxes. That is the way social media defines us to look or act. But you know what? As a Christian, I've had to go back and define self-love, self-worth, self-image to myself. And a definition that I got was, as a Christian, I need to have confidence in who God says I am. Not self-confidence, but God-confidence. Psalms 139 verse 13 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in our mother's womb. And I love that word knit, because my grandmother used to knit me little jerseys. We call them jerseys. What do you guys call them? Sweaters. And she would make the most beautiful patterns. And one time she made me a little panda bear and we were on a holiday together and she spent days just sitting there knitting that jersey, pulling it out, redoing it, wanting to make sure that it's perfect, that that pattern she's created on that sweater, that it's perfect. You know what it makes me realize when I read Psalm 139 verse 13? 
that God knit us in our mother's womb, that he had a precise plan for our life, that he created us in love. And if that does not make you feel worthy, I don't think any amount of makeup, any amount of clothes, any amount of shoes, any amount of bags will ever make you feel worthy. And I think that's so important that we go back to really defining what self-confidence looks like, that we need to remove the word self and replace it with God and make it God-confidence. God-confidence. Isn't that beautiful? I love how she said that. We have a lot to do. We have an incredible mission to fulfill. We need to have confidence in the words of the Lord that we are his daughters, that we are elect. We were chosen to live at this time in this place to assist in the gathering of Israel. We need to gather our courage and lay aside the things of this world. And that includes all of those silly ways that we define ourselves by how beautiful our home is decorated or by how beautiful our bodies are. Those are things of the world, and we can ask for assistance from the Savior to let those things go. Start where you are. Don't let the grand scale of your mission or the overwhelming amount of things that you feel that you need to let go throw you off. He will meet you where you are, and He has a very precise plan for how to get you from where you are now to the great potential that you can hardly imagine, but He knows is possible. You know, when I started this podcast, I stunk at Come Follow Me in my own home, like really hardly doing anything. I was barely putting in any effort. I had a whole lot of mental effort going on where I felt guilty and I wanted to be doing it right. And I wanted to make sure that I was following the commandments. And so that desire to do better was acknowledged by Heavenly Father. He knew that I wanted to do better and it just wasn't showing up in my actions. I had a desire to ensure that I was doing what I could for my family. And from that desire, the Lord worked with that. He worked with my desire, even though my actions stunk. They really stunk. My my follow through was not good. But he worked with my desire and he inspired me to start this podcast. And by doing this podcast, it has increased the spirit and follow through that I've had with my family. And I know it will continue to do so. He knew exactly what I needed to keep me on track. And what an incredible plan he had to keep me on track. How would I have thought of that on my own? There's no way I'm thinking in my own mind as I stink at Come Follow Me that I should all of a sudden do a podcast. That was his plan because he knew that that is something that would keep me on track. And it started with his prompting to me. But there would have been no improvement if I hadn't pushed aside all of the thoughts that I had about not being qualified or not being ready or not having time or not wanting to be embarrassed. By pushing all of that aside, I had God confidence. I knew I was a daughter of God. I knew my testimony qualified for me to speak about the gospel. I knew that even though I was very imperfectly following the plan laid out for my life, that that plan was real and designed by God and attainable if I follow what he asks me to do. And I also know that my thoughts about not being qualified or not being ready or not having time or not wanting to be embarrassed, those were not from him. And so why would I follow those thoughts? Why would I do that? I know where those are from. And so I had confidence that he knew what he was doing when he inspired me to start this podcast. We need to be willing to put the Savior first even though we will do it inconsistently and imperfectly, 
And when we do, we are promised that faith will be rewarded beyond our imagination. We need to be willing to trust that he has it all worked out and that it's okay if it doesn't make sense in our limited view sometimes. We need to join Emma and be willing to roll up our sleeves and sacrifice and get to work. He knows you. And to quote John Lennon, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Think of that incredible vision that Emma had with her baby and how perfectly tailored it was just for her. God knew the longings in her heart. The Savior was showing her that if it's not okay right now, it's not the end. Except we know something grand that transcends that statement. There is no end. There is eternity. There is forever family. There is a Father that knows you completely and entirely who longs to heal your heart. There is imperishable love. You are in the midst of pure creation, the creation of a soul with unlimited potential. So you tell Satan, no, you command Satan to leave and leave now. Leave the things of the world behind. They are not important. They are not eternal. And in doing so, you will invite the spirit into your life and it will have an effect more powerful than any force that will try to tear you down. Your life will be purified and sanctified for the father of your spirit. You tell yourself every day, I am a daughter of the living God, cherished, loved, and adored above all things by the creator of all things for the glory of all things. You are elect. He made you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit you with great care, exactly as you were intended to be in your mother's womb. He loves you. He sees the potential for good in you that is beyond your comprehension. President Hinckley said, People wonder what we do for our women. I will tell you what we do. We get out of their way and look with wonder at what they are accomplishing. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.